Welcome to Money Tips by Charles Kelly, author of Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness. Charles spent over 25 years in financial services, working for banks, insurance companies, and as a qualified independent financial advisor running his practice before setting up his speaking, consultancy, and property business. Money Tips will help you save, make, and accumulate more money. Whether you are a business owner, entrepreneur, employee, or still searching for your vocation. Hello and welcome once again. I want to ask you a question. Do you think property is still a good investment in light of tougher legislation on landlords? First, we had the 2015 Finance Act, removing tax relief on buy-to-let mortgages. Uh, tax relief will actually be phased out altogether uh, next year. Uh, they removed part of it, and it's only 25% at the moment. This is the tax relief you get on interest on, on a mortgage, on a buy-to-let mortgage. This has been phased out, and they also phased out uh, the wear and tear allowance on properties, which makes quite a big difference to your tax. A lot of landlords and property owners will, will start feeling the pinch next year because they say, well, where's all this? Why am I paying more tax on the same amount of rent? And this doesn't apply to limited companies, uh, but it does apply to people who own a property in their own name, which is probably 95% of us. Uh, unfortunately, this this has helped larger corporations, larger companies, but not not the small guy who might have two or three properties. And it, it's, it has been a big problem. And many property owners have pulled out of the market and, you know, prices have dropped. But that's for other reasons as well, including Brexit. But, uh, you know, that hasn't been good news, but people are still hanging in there, and I'm sure that you know we'll all survive. I think what it has done is made landlords think again, and perhaps if they've had four or five properties all on, you know, say a 70, 75 percent mortgage or loan to value, they've perhaps thought, well, let's sell a few. And I've I've done this myself. I've sold a few properties so that I can consolidate and reduce my my debt, so that the the loss of tax relief is not going to affect me as much as it would have done before. Now, there were rumours that this might be changed, but I don't think it's going to happen. The government need the money, and they've just raided the landlord's pockets because we're an easy target. You know, we're not, no one's going to, you know, bleat for us, or there's going to be no love lost in terms of our our problems in in the world. You know, people are not going to come out and march down the streets and give, give landlords their tax relief. So we are quite an easy target. Now that's 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 in the past. Uh, what's done is done. You can move, of course, move your properties into limited companies, but this creates a chargeable, taxable event. It means you've got to pay capital gains, perhaps uh, you've got to pay all the stamp duty and all the rest of it. Now there, there were some clever schemes talked about, but I don't know if those, those have worked. You can buy properties in limited company name, but again, there's a problem with that because the, there's only a few lenders lending on. To limited companies on buy to let to limited companies, which is ridiculous to me. I don't know why the mainstream lenders have not got into this, and they they charge more three to four percent as opposed to say two to two and a half percent. So you can get a, a loan with a limited company, but you might find that the higher interest rate, you know, wipes out the saving that you've made by getting the tax relief. I mean, if you're going to do these sorts of things, you've got to take advice from your accountant and advisor. Uh, there are other reasons for having properties in limited companies, other advantages, and there are some disadvantages. So you need to take advice on that. Now, you may have noticed last week that the government is proposing a new uh, rule affecting landlords, which is another blow on the head, really. And these are new rules affecting Section 21 notices, which enables landlords 
to gain possession of the property without having to give a reason to find or find fault, in other words. Now, you know, this, this is this could cause problems. Now, we don't know exactly how this is going to pan out, but, uh, you know, it, it means that where you, you could say to a tenant at the end of a six-month or 12-month agreement, okay, thanks very much. Um, you know, I want to do something else with this place and, you know, you're welcome to go. Here's the Section 21 notice. And they would just go. It looks like you're not going to be able to do that anymore. And th- this can this will cause problems, especially with the amateur landlords, because, uh, you know, it, if you just want the property back, you've got a tenant who may be slightly troublesome, not paying their rent on time, and you just want, you don't want a, an argument about it. You just want to say, well, I, I, I want to end this tenancy. You're not going to be able to do that anymore. There is a Section 8 uh, legislation where you can take, you can gain possession of your property under a Section 8. But this is, this has to go to court and it, it can be more prob- problematic for, for landlords because, you know, a tenant can go in and defend it and the, the judge will usually err on their side. I had, a, I had a tenant that was causing problems with one of my HMOs and it, it wasn't so much her, it was her boyfriend coming in harassing other female tenants in in the building it's a bit of a long story but we we asked her to leave the agency said you know we want to serve a section 21 notice and they did that but she just refused to leave and said well i'm not going and rather than go for the section 8 and court and all that sort of thing we decided to sort of let sleeping dogs lie she she banned the boyfriend from the house anyway so um that that sort of thing settled down and she's she's still paying her rent so we just left it as it was but it's not as easy as people think and a colleague of mine that had a hmo had a very troublesome tenant she was uh emptying the house to move her daughter into the property and you know this 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 girl's tenancy has come to an end and and she's just i'm not going and went to the council and caused and said she was being harassed and all this sort of thing and the council called the 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 landlord in and said, you know, we want to see you. We, we might have to interview you under caution. It, it was nonsense. Uh, I think I, I went in there with her because I, I was actually her counsellor. And I think had I not been there, she would have been given a rough ride. But uh, it, it was quite a shock to me that the council would automatically side with the the tenant and call the landlord in, you know, as if you've been summoned by the police or something, uh, just because this tenant said she was being harassed. And and, and and in effect, all was happening is her tenancy had come to an end and the owner wanted to get the property back. Everyone else had gone in the house and, and she wouldn't move out. I, I, to me, I don't know why you have to serve a Section 21 notice anyway. Surely if you come to an end of an agreement, like a contract or an employment, you, you know, you just go. You don't say you've got to serve a legal notice on me before I, I, I decide whether I want to go or not. So uh, now that they're even taking that one away, it looks like. Now, obviously, the BBC and the media have been all over this, uh, usually citing cases of so-called victims of unscrupulous landlords who apparently have been evicted at short notice because they made a complaint about a repair job. There was a lady saying, I made a complaint about a leak in the roof and then I complained again because it wasn't fixed. The next thing I got a a Section 21 notice on my doormat. Now, obviously, we haven't heard the landlord side of the story there and there are some unscrupulous landlords, but in these cases, I, I don't know if if there's some more to these stories because you know for two reasons i mean most landlords would want to maintain their property in good order and you know you, you if you've got a leak coming through a ceiling you don't just want to leave that leak because obviously it's going to get worse and if if you if you don't maintain your property you've got to be a bit of an idiot and secondly no landlord wants 
to evict a tenant who is paying rent and not causing trouble, only to find that, you know, then they have a void. You know, they might need to refurbish the room or replace a few things. And, you know, even if it all goes smoother, you're bound to have a few weeks empty while the, the agency or whoever you use to get tenants finds another one, does the reference in uh, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you, you're going to lose money. So why would you want to, to evict a, a good tenant just because they made a complaint about a repair? Now, don't get me wrong. There are landlords out there who are stupid. They leave, they let that properties uh, deteriorate and, and it costs them more money in the long run. I was looking at a property to buy the other day and there was a tenant who had been there for 10 years and the landlord had not done a thing to this property. She was actually repairing it herself. She was saying, oh, I'm saving up to to do this repair. She was an old lady and she said, but I haven't got any money at the moment, but I will get round to repairing that. I thought, my God, you know, this 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 uh, landlord must be crazy. They, In fact, they'd left the rent at a, quite a low rate for the last 10 years. The landlord had not, not even been there. So there are some silly amateur landlords out there, but I would have thought, you know, maintain your property, keep keep a good relationship with tenants. But anyway, this 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 Section 21 notice looks like it will disappear. So what do I think of this? Would I sort of get out of the market because of this? Well, no, not really. Um, I, I would say one thing that these these measures are not going to solve the housing crisis. You know, obviously there is a housing crisis at the moment and organisations like Shell to say that, uh, you know, a lot of people are being evicted and serve Section 21 notice due to complaints. And some organisations are saying that this is causing homelessness and, and so on. Uh, but I don't think this is, is really going to solve the housing crisis. If anything, it might make things worse because landlords may just decide they've had enough and they're pulling out and, uh, you know, they're frightened of effectively a, a six or 12 month tenancy becoming a lifelong tenancy if, you know, if that's what the tenant wants to do. Now, if that happens, rent will obviously go up. Just, just by virtue of the simple laws of supply and demand, because if there's less properties around, more tenants chasing it, landlords, you know, the demand goes up and prices will go up. Obviously, also I would say that, you know, whilst it's fine and the and various organisations and governments are saying people need security in the long term, security of a, a, a lifelong tenancy, the you know private landlords were never meant to to fill this gap um, for long term tenancy. And what's happened, there's, there's there's so few council houses around at the moment, so few housing associations that it's left to the private landlords to, 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 to take up that slack, if you like. And long-term tenancies and lifelong tenancies were traditionally provided by councils called a council house. And, and they've not been built in any great quantity, certainly in the London area, since the 1970s. You know, I was a kid and I remember lots of states, new estates being built uh, on, on old land and uh, there were new towns being built, like you know Basildon and Harlow and uh, Milton Keynes. You know, these were bold plans, and they and they did a lot to solve the the overspill from London. And people were moving out of London into these areas. And I, th- I think without that bold plan, we would have been a lot of problems. But this hasn't happened since then. And you know, I'd like to see more towns and and cities been built. Now. One of the reasons why councils are not building more council houses is they fear that they will lose them further down the road with, with what's called the right to buy scheme, where tenants have the right to buy their council property. Now, I, I believe it's a bit of a red herring, really, because council could still build them and, you know, at least it would get people into houses. And then if they buy them later on, so what? You know, just go and build some more. At least you haven't got any people homeless. At least you're not 
housing them in expensive bed and breakfast. It still provides a house. Nevertheless, that's that's one of the reasons why they're not um, building more councils. That's what I hear from councils anyway. Now, the government and local authorities must, I feel, just build affordable rental social housing really as a matter of urgency. Currently, they most of the building that goes on is, is by private developers and private developers usually give a percentage up to 35% of the development over to affordable housing. Now, this this is just not working in, and it's not providing enough stock. I see a lot of developments going up where they're luxury developments and obviously, you know, they're not going to give, say, a million pound house or, you know, six or seven hundred thousand pound flat. And they're not just going to give 35% of those away to, to uh, you know, people who need affordable housing or or social rent, social housing, what they'll do instead is give a cash sum, a commuted sum over to the council under a, a Section 106 agreement. And, and then the council then has to go and build somewhere else. But but that's not happening because it's just not, you know, they've got to find sites. They've got to have project managers. They've got to build. It's just it's just not happening. So I don't think it's working. And some developers, uh, you know, they're, they're giving over affordable housing, but those housing, those affordable houses are just not affordable, literally. I've seen developers who can't even, uh, you know, get rid of the affordable housing, even on a shared ownership scheme, because there's just it just doesn't add up. They're too expensive. And, you know, because you've got to pay on a shared ownership scheme, you're buying a percentage of that property and you've got to pay a, a price for that, that, that equity, that share and rent as well. And some people just can't afford it. Uh, so they've got to do something about this. And in the end, some of the developers have had to just hand them over to a housing association. Now, the government also, I think, needs to look at the right to buy uh, laws and, and scheme in order to keep stock within the you know, social rented sector. The right to buy obviously was a good thing in the past. It was a flagship policy under the Margaret Thatcher's Conservative government. And I you know, it helped my own family you know, go up and move up in the social mobility ladder and the property ladder uh, because it, it helped people buy their own homes and feel they had a home. And, you know, it was great. They looked after that home much better than they would when it was uh, run, owned by the council. And it did change a lot of uh, pretty rough council estates and, and, and problematic council estates into nice places to live because of that, that right to buy. But I think it needs to be looked at. That was in the 70s. And I think it now needs to be looked at. And, and, and obviously the main problem is that the money from the sale of all these thousands of council houses was not reinvested into building new stock. Why, I, I don't know, but I think this needs to be looked at. Now, the other thing I think is that there's still a shortage of housing in the country. As the population has risen sharply in the recent years due to immigration and also people living longer, families, etc. You know, divorce also creates demand uh, for smaller rental units as and studios, one-bedroom apartments. You know, as a family splits up, you need two homes, obviously. And, uh, you know, with people living longer now, I, mean, I know people who live independently in their 90s. You know, it, it was never expected you know, years ago that people would live that long and, and be independent living in their in their own homes. But so so definitely there's still going to be a demand for, for many years to come. And net migration, which is the difference between people coming into the country and people leaving the country, has been running at around half a million people each year for, for many years, maybe 10 years. You know, that, that's millions of extra people. And that doesn't include the people that are not recorded coming into the country. You know, people from uh, the EU 
can just come here and, and walk in and, and nobody would really know they're here. They could stay for a few weeks. They could stay for years. And then you've got the undocumented migrants, which which run into probably a million people. So population has, and has increased rapidly. And really, if you look at that, if you look at figures like half a million, that's almost a small city. That's somewhere like Bristol that would have to be built each year just to cope with the number of people on, on, on migration alone. Okay, now this is not happening, is it? We don't see that they're, they're building a new Milton Keynes or a Basildon, do we? It's just not. There was talk a few years ago of building six or seven new cities in the southeast. I think one has been built. Now they're talking about uh, small towns and, and garden villages of of you know a couple of thousand. But you know this is just a, a spit in the ocean, really. So therefore, what I'm getting back to here in a long-winded way is that there will still be a strong demand. For property for the for the foreseeable future for the next few years in fact because even if they have a plan to build a city that's going to take 10 years to build now even if there are fluctuations in the market and problems the fundamental underlying demand will still remain uk population is going to hit 60 million within the next decade or so and they will all need somewhere to live so getting back to the latest announcement the latest uh, slap in the face for landlords we don't know how these new rules will play out or when they'll be implemented. You know, ministers have a habit of, of announcing flagship policies, but not really thinking them through uh, fully. And, you know, when it comes down to it, we don't know how tough this, this this legislation will be. What they're trying to do, obviously, is protect vulnerable tenants. Um, but let's see how, how things go. We We know that the government, you know, they're not stupid, these ministers. You know, I've met housing ministers, I've met prime ministers, and they're not idiots. They've looked at all the figures and they've, they've looked at things. They, people say, why don't, do they live in the real world? Of course they do. They live in the real world. They, they're ordinary people. You know, they, they're MPs. They have constituencies. They deal with thousands of problems of, of, of constituents and residents coming to them with their problems. So, so they do live in, in the real world. So, and, and they know that they don't want to go back to the bad old days of what they used to call protected tenancies, uh, where a landlord... Uh, could never regain possession of a property once it was rented to someone. It was um, they were called a sit-in tenant, and I, I remember, you know, even even as far as the eighties and nineties, there were still properties with elderly sit-in tenants um, in there, and you know the owners couldn't sell the property because of this sit-in tenant. They had a right to be there, so you couldn't sell the property as a as a vacant possession. And some of the landlords and owners wanted to get rid of these properties and just couldn't do it. So they would generally be sold off at an auction uh, at a much reduced price. And then tenants were offered, you know, thousands of pounds to, just to leave. And usually someone would come in. Uh, I mean, a good friend of mine used to do this. He used to help people buy these properties in London. And then he he was a, a sort of a, a friendly guy and he would negotiate with a tenant and, you know, persuade them to leave. It wasn't anything heavy going on, but he, he would just have a knack of dealing with people. And then they would find them somewhere else to live and give them a lump sum. And usually this suited them because by that time, the properties were probably old and run down. Um, but some of these tenants were paying like rent from the 1960s. They were paying like three pounds a week and stuff. It, it was ridiculous. And for that reason, landlords would not get into the, the rental market. And it only changed uh, when they brought in these assured shorthold tenancies a few years ago. And then landlords came in and then lenders could then lend on, on, on these properties because they were safe, they could get possession of them. And that's when the buy-to-let boom took off. Uh, so 
we don't want to go back to those old days. And like it or not, the government needs private landlords. Is there not enough social housing provided by councils and housing associations? Uh, yeah, there are a few corporate landlords coming into the market, and but they're catering for the luxury end, aren't they? You know, they're catering for the city centre studios and these co-living places for young professionals with, you know, little coffee bars downstairs and, you know, city centre places. And, you know, these would rent out like a, a studio kind of room in, in a glorified HMO for £1,200 a month. Now, most people can't afford that or not willing to pay that. So for this reason, as I keep repeating, there will be a demand, a strong demand for private rented accommodation, even with anti-landlord legislation. Sorry to say that, but this is anti-landlord legislation. Now, landlords are small business people, right? And small business people are extremely resistant to constant legislation changes and, and general red tape. They will survive and adapt. Like Darwin said, it's not the strongest species that survive, but the most adaptable. So there, there you go. Property is still a good long-term investment. There will always be challenges. You've got to take your own advice on this if you're, if you're considering investing. I wouldn't become an amateur landlord. Before you do anything, get advice um, and keep advice, keep abreast rather of the new legislation coming in by attending courses and seminars run by reputable organisations like the National Landlords Association in LA are quite good at I'm a member of them and and they provide a good source of they're a good source of information uh that everything going on and they lobby government they lobby uh the government for on behalf of landlords they they're on the, the TV this week actually so they they're always in there um now the other thing about property remember is that you can still get leverage you can still borrow from the bank to buy properties and uh use other people's money to acquire properties to acquire properties now whether the the banks will be so keen to lend if you know, it's very diff- becomes very difficult to remove a tenant. That's another matter. So that's why I don't think the government will let it go that far. So if you own properties already, I wouldn't panic and jump ship just yet, unless you, you need to sell the property. But if you're planning to invest, I would just proceed with a bit of caution in this market. Uh, we obviously still got Brexit hanging in the air. Um, so, you know, make sure you can buy properties at the right price because that's where you make your money at the start. It's still a bit of a buyer's market. Although I've heard that things are picking up. Solicitors are telling me that more sales are going through at the moment. Um, and just proceed with, with caution. But always educate yourself before dipping your toe into anything like this. And, you know, I, I, I know of a number of courses you can attend. Some of them are, uh, I can get complimentary tickets for you to do a weekend course where you can get a, a good overview of be, becoming a property investor. You know, because it's not just about buying something, putting down a deposit and, you know, borrowing money. There are, there are multiple ways of, of getting into the property market, uh, some of which require none of your own money. And even if you haven't got any money, you can still become a, a property investor. You can still make money from property, even if you haven't got your own money. There, there, there are so many ways. I, I don't even use, I haven't even scratched the surface on most of them. So if, you, if you'd like to find out more about that, please drop me a line. And I can get you booked on to some of those. That final thing is my new book, Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness, is due out on the 4th of May. Watch out for special offers to my podcast subscribers. Okay, thanks very much. This has been Charles Kelly, bringing you money tips to help you save, earn, invest, accumulate, and ultimately enjoy more money. Thank you for listening to Money Tips. For more tips and information, visit moneytipsdaily.com. 
The information given in this podcast is for your entertainment and should not be construed as financial advice. As always, take independent financial advice before making any investment decisions. 